0: Welcome, my brilliant friends, to a fresh series kicking off this first week in April 2021. The series is filled with deeply inspiring women who have chosen to use their creative energies to develop unique content for the rest of us to benefit from. What a gift to share these creators with you, my friends. Our guiding quote for the series is from Brené Brown. The only unique contribution that we will ever make to this world will be born of our creativity. I love how this quote reminds us as adults that we can tap into our creativity to contribute to the world around us. Our kickoff guest is one that I can barely believe I get to share with you. And I know that this community is going to love her. Dr. Michelle Borba is an internationally renowned educator, award-winning author and parenting child expert recognized for her solution-based strategies to strengthen children's character, resilience, and reduce peer cruelty. A sought after motivational speaker, she has spoken in 19 countries and five continents and served as a consultant to hundreds of schools and corporations. Clients include Sesame Street, Harvard, U.S. Air Force Academy, 18 U.S. Army bases in Europe and the Asian Pacific, Pacific, HRH, The Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, and a TEDx talk, Empathy is a Verb. She offers realistic, research-based advice culled from a career working with over 1 million parents and educators worldwide. Dr. Borba is an NBC contributor who has appeared 150 times on the Today Show and countless shlo- shows, including Dateline, Dr. Phil, The View, NBC Nightly News, The Doctors, Dr. Oz, Anderson Cooper, I mean, just to name a few friends. I and mean, She's been there and done that. Her work is featured in Time, Washington Post, Newsweek, People, Boston Globe, U.S. News and World Report, The New York Times, Reader's Digest, and Globe and Mail. Dr. Borba is recognized globally for her work in bullying and and youth violence prevention. She's a media spokesperson for major corporations, including 3M, Office Depot, Splenda, Johnson & Johnson, and she's a consultant to Apple TV, McDonald's, and Disney. I mean, this woman... And she is a big deal, my friends. She is the award-winning author of 24 books translated into 19 languages, including Nobody Likes Me, No More Misbehaving, Don't Give Me That Attitude, and Pure Cruelty, Building Empathy, and Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. Her latest book, Thrivers, Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine, just came out. Dr. Borba is a former classroom and special education teacher with a wide range of teaching experience, including work in a private practice with children with learning and emotional disabilities. She received a doctorate in educational psychology and counseling from the University of San Francisco, an MA in learning disabilities, and a BA from the University of Santa Clara, and a life teaching credential from San Jose State University. She lives in Palm Springs, California with her husband and three grown sons. In this episode, we discuss Dr. Borba's research on resilience and practical ways that parents and educators can serve students to become what she calls thrivers. Her journey and experience into becoming creator through authoring books, practical applications of her research all highlighted in her most recent book, Thrivers, The Surprising Reason Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine, and Dr. Borba shares many more insights certain to inspire you now in your own life and in ways that you can support children in resilience. Friends, you have to know that this interview is an absolute dream for me. I have used Dr. Borba's unselfie research in every one of my Going Beyond Balance workshops for years, and I cited her work. and Lead with Faith in the age section, Leading with Heart, where I emphasize ways to build empathy as a leader. To be able to share Dr. Borba with you today on this podcast is a blessing that I would never have even thought could happen. I know her passion, deep insight, and energy will inspire you. I am so grateful to be able to share with you Dr. Michelle Borba's creator story. Welcome, Dr. Michelle Borva to the In Awe podcast. I am living a dream having you here on the show, my friend. Welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you, thank you. This is so fun. I'm just, I'm honored to be here. I know that my listeners are absolutely going to just be so joyful to hear your message today. And for anybody who doesn't know Dr. Michelle Borba, of course, I read your bio, but would you just do us a favor and share with us kind of like your current context? We're all living in kind of a different world, especially during these COVID months, I suppose. So would you just give us a picture of what your life might be like right now? My
1: life is absolutely fascinatingly wonderful because I'm not on planes, which I usually am daily. And as a result, I'm reaching so many more people. I mean, just this week, I've been uh, Zooming with uh, the Philippines, Hong Kong, Dubai, and Ireland just contacted me. And the reason I say that is that everybody seems to be in the same concerns the same questions of what are we going to do how do we open up our schools how do we help our kids with mental health we are so much smaller as a world than we ever gave ourselves that realization
0: mm. That's a really powerful insight. And I also know as somebody who just has a very fraction of the experience that you have getting on an airplane, traveling to the locations and having those awesome face to face interactions, your ability to reach more masses now virtually is probably impacted in a positive way. Yeah, it is. It's it's fascinating that you do reach so many more people because they're able
1: to get to you. The only thing as a consultant is that it's so disappointing because I can't read the facial expressions on people to resonate that way. I love podcasters because it's a one on one. But when you have a large group of a thousand people, you know, e- emailing or zooming in, you can't see the responses. The most interesting one was actually standing on a stage and they, they videoed me on a stage, but what they did is they said, we can't have anybody here. So they lined up chairs
0: and they put photographs of every family <laughs> on the stage. And I went, oh, this is surreal. <laughs> I am sure for someone, as we unpack your story a little bit and your expertise, that just has to feel surreal on so many levels because I first accessed you and your brilliance with Unselfie. And I'm thinking about what must be just going through your mind when you're <laughs> delivering a message like that in that context.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially because here we go. An unselfie is a person who who is able to nurture empathy because of face-to-face connection. And I'm sitting there looking at, well, this isn't working, so we got to be creative and figure it out, right? Oh, yes. There's always another way, but we can do it.
0: There sure always is. And I love that so much. It's, it's like taking your life's work and just really putting it um, into real life context that the rest of us are all struggling with. And you know that you're an educator. Most of my listeners are educators, so they totally get that struggle. Um, so I'm really appreciating that you would provide that context for us <laughs> for the role that you serve is um, it's so similar. Uh, you're on a mission. You've got messages to share. And to do that now in the COVID world is just so very different. So I really appreciate you taking the time to show up on the podcast and give us some like, light in your message, because I know we need it too. Yeah, thank you.
1: I think we all do.
0: Okay, so if you would do me a favor, I have you featured here on the series on creators, and I'm just so deeply excited that you joined. You are a a uh, person that I've looked to in the field, you're somebody who has written about critical topics, maybe before they even became buzzwords. I guess, um, you know, in the education field, we we talk about empathy and we talk about um, SEL and resilience, but you're somebody whose work I have found to be extremely practical and provide um, not just the the research and the knowledge behind it, but you give some really practical insights into how we can actually improve for example, the crisis of, of empathy, right? Um, so I just really appreciate that you have created a lot. You are a creator by nature. Can I, before we jump into the meat of what you've created, would you share with us just a little bit about your journey? Like what prompted you to want to write, you know, 25 books and <laughs> get these messages to masses Aww. and create? all of this work? Well, you know what? This is all about the power of a teacher.
1: I had Mrs. Nunley as my eighth grade teacher, and she said, Michelle, when you grow up, you should be a writer. Absolutely powerful on what a teacher can do. Mr. Jolson was my senior English teacher. He said, Michelle, when you grow up, you should be a writer. Mrs. Nunley had passed away, but my first book, I remember. Having to go back to Saratoga High, finding Mr. Jolson, same bulletin boards from years ago, but he was the most amazing contact with the kids. I handed him my first book. He looked at me, patted my the back and said, I knew you could do this. <laughs> I went, oh, <laughs> the power of teachers. Just find their strengths because I didn't realize I had that strength, but apparently they saw it and it really can be nurtured. It was an educator who did it too, in particular.
0: What a beautiful story. I love that. And so um, I'm sure you have so many different tales going through in terms of what you've experienced from that first experience to the most recent one in, in publishing a book. Would you give us a little bit of insight into um, that process of research and culling it all together and putting it in this beautiful package. Any, any thoughts? Thank you. Uh,
1: First of all, it is so much more intense. My girlfriends always say, aren't you done yet? So I just want to take a moment to say thank you for asking. The first thing is you got to have some kind of a a gnawing issue that goes into your head going, something's wrong, or why is it this way? Uh, When it came down to the last book called Thrivers, it was I was interviewing kids. And kid after kid across the U.S. kept saying exactly the same thing. We're running on empty. We're really stressed, and we're missing the stuff on how to be human beings and Then I looked at the the research that said one in five American kids was going to be diagnosed with some kind of a mental health disorder that was the impetus it's kids, so what are we going to do about it? Um, the next thing was uncovering the research and that was really kind of a fun thing. You just kind of dig 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 deep until you begin to see I usually end up with about you know i don't know five yards of of documents in front of me. Then you go through each one of them and you begin to see the pattern. Then what always happens is the fun part. I go in and out of classrooms and watch teachers teach it a different way. When I was looking at how do you teach resilience? Well, it's not a prepackaged program. It was these incredible educators who were weaving it in uh, and then finally, it was finding the best science-driven research that says it is doable. You can teach resilience. And finally, getting it into a format. Luckily, I have this incredible editor who helps my brain think in a different way. Editors get into your head so well that to this day, I can hear him say, that's a dangling modifier, Michelle, or what do you really want on that? They're, they're so profound in your head that they help you really kind of pattern out whatever's in
0: that in your mind so you can finally get it on paper. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I'm just inspired listening to you. And I know that the listeners really appreciate you providing that insight um, because, you know, you write messages that really serve us. And I know that that's a labor. You are a parent labeled as a parenting expert, right? And I think the process of writing and publishing and sharing a book is like that. (laughs) It's, It's a labor of love, right?
1: It's really labor. <laughs> it's so labor intensive. Because what happens is, I think the reason I've written so many books is not because I like to write. It's because I got to get it out of my head. It's like it's there. It's gnawing. There's a problem. So how do you fix it? And it's always been kids and educators who have turned me on to here's the other way that we're, that we're missing. So I thank them.
0: That's so great. Okay, so we have got to talk about thrivers, the surprising reasons of why some kids struggle and others shine. I'm so glad you brought it up. Uh, what would you define as a thriver? Can you talk about that title?
1: Yeah, the easy way to say it to me is a kid who's, who's got that, I got this kind of an attitude. So when they're faced with a bump or a ditch in the road, <laughs> whatever the adversity is, it's a child who doesn't quit or give up that's a kid who's merely more like a striver or a survivor a thriver is I got this because it's usually that someplace in their head they have a feeling of agency or they've got some skill sets that like I can problem solve or I could go ask mom or I could find my way around it or I could go find another source they have resources that are available that now what the resilience theory says protective Factors or buffers that they've learned. I think that's the missing piece. Hmm. I find that too many people, particularly parents, think that resilience is locked into DNA or temperament or it's one trait. When we now know it's a combination of traits, and each trait or strength is made up of a skill set that needs to be practiced, and thrivers have practiced those skills so that when push comes to shove, they use them. Hmm.
0: That's very powerful um, when i when I heard you say specifically talking about protective factors, I know as a former administrator and classroom teacher we were just getting into these concepts and we spent time talking about, um, adverse childhood experiences. And I know the piece that we were hungry for was, well, now what <laughs> we know that we have these struggles yeah. now, what, and those protective factors, I think what is powerful about educators. And I think the message that you're definitely coming across is that we do have the ability to help them grow that resilience. Um, and so I know that you say there are characteristics to the thrivers and um, specifically that set them apart from kids who struggle. Do you want to go through a couple of those?
1: Oh, I'd love to. I think the first thing is to realize that schools are the refuge for most children, that the culture of a thriving culture is what can make or break a child. And there's so many kids that they walk across that front door It's they're breathing because it's the first place where stress goes down or they have a caring connection. Because other than a protective factor, they have a Mrs. Nunley or a Mr. Jolson, those teachers in their lives who are there for them. So there's two parts to a thriver. First, they've got a caring champion of an adult who's always there or at least saying, I'm here for you. What do you need? And the second thing is learn protective factors. I pulled those from the most amazing research that I think most of us as educators never realized existed. Longitudinal studies on resilient children. I mean, Emmy Werner turned my life around when she's been studying the same, can you imagine, cohort of hundreds of children who faced enormous difficulty. Think about the kids who you're losing sleep over at night because is there hope for those students. Adversity that's a uh, domestic violence in the home. It could be a poverty, a homelessness, uh, schizophrenic parents. She studied those kids and halfway into the study, one third of them were bouncing back. They were caring. They were competent. And now she says, Why? She was the first source who began to pull that, yes, it was the caring teacher or parent, but second of all, it was a series of skills or strengths. So I looked at first uh, at least five different longitudinal studies and came up with, here's the seven most highly correlated that we can weave into our classrooms or schools. Confidence. That's the first one. It seems like that most thrivers have a strong sense of their strengths. They know what their strengths are, not necessarily academic ones, but they can rely on those strengths and not focus on the weakness. When push comes to shove, they use them. Our society has been focusing on weaknesses, not strengths. Parents have been focusing on just the GPA and forgetting maybe the kid is absolutely brilliant in music or loves to read or woodwork. Um, The second one is empathy. Yeah, (laughs) because drivers have social competence. They have a go-to source of here's who I can rely on. It doesn't mean they have billions of friends, but they have a couple of abilities to draw people out. They think we, not me. The third one is self-control, which every teacher in the world would say, yep, that's what they need. That's a lot of our SEL skills. It's the coping strategies so that you'd use one or two And you can use them when push comes to shove to think straight and self-regulate. Integrity is number four. I was so excited that that kept coming up. But it seems like thrivers have a strong moral code or a compass so that when a mental adversity comes, they don't have to wiver and waver going, here's what I stand for. And they can move ahead uh, for some of those issues. Five is curiosity. Yes. They have a problem-solving ability or they're deeper thinkers or creative thinkers, uh, critical thinkers. But they can find a way out. They're open to ideas and people. And then perseverance. That's the grit one. That's the growth mindset. But fascinating, that one's kept coming up right now in COVID. The children with a growth mindset in China are more likely to endure during this pandemic because they realize they just got to keep working a little harder. They don't have that fixed mindset. And then the last one is uh, optimism and hope. And if you don't have that one, that pessimism just keeps eroding. Your abilities to think, I got this. And as a result, depression and stress and anxiety
0: rise. And that's mm. what's hitting all of our kids. Right. It's very powerful because I'm sure, you know, as I was listening, I'm picturing faces. you know i'm picturing students in my past i'm picturing my own children i'm you know picturing myself I know that your work applies to adults too um because uh, i'm yes. <laughs> yeah, thinking about yes, yes yes all of this is so powerful uh, i just really appreciate how passionately you deliver that it's also um it, it's like i don't know the word i'm trying to come up with but Clearly needed. And I guess my question, I I know that in your work, you say that combining these becomes a multiplier effect. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: That was, that was my aha moment that I didn't realize because every parent and educator kept asking, which are the most important of those strengths? Do you need all of them? Now, first is you don't need all of them or, I mean, who's got all seven of those? It's a rare person, Mm -hmm. but the more you have going for you, the better. Not in any particular order, though I do swear that confidence is the one that kind of a self-understanding of my strengths pulls it together. But what I didn't realize is that when you combine any two, any two in any order, like curiosity plus perseverance, whoa, that's a kid who's got flow and it's unstoppable and he's going to keep on going. Or you put empathy plus integrity plus perseverance, you got a change maker on your hand. Too often what we do is we try to rely on one strength area and we fail to realize that kids need more of a foundation. You put them together and it creates like superpowers that really help the kid endure whatever comes their
0: way. That message is so forgiving and kind when you think about the role of educators and the impact that we're trying to have as the people listening and going, yes, 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 I'm all in, but how do I do that? <laughs> you know, realizing that you're not in charge of all seven, we can't, you know, Definitely can't expect that everybody's going to have all seven, but there's power in knowing that there's grace.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think the first thing is, in fact, when you look at those seven, strong teachers have them, educational leaders have to have them because they create those or just a few of those. And maybe the first step is ask yourself, not in the lesson, which of those do I model? (sighs) Which of those do I already have? Because the best way to teach those isn't with a worksheet. It's by showing the child what it looks like with your own presence. Then the second thing is taking any of them or just putting them on a post-it note on the top of your lesson plans and say, how can I weave those in? Uh, Each chapter in Thrivers goes into a school and goes into a classroom and I'm just, I was blown away by how teachers were, and maybe they didn't realize that they were using those strengths, but they were integrating them. The most amazing one was actually at the MIT Multimedia Lab in Cambridge. These are the most incredible geniuses of geniuses. I mean, they invented a Siri, AI, computers. I mean, and I walked in and the first couple of things I noticed is that they've got a few things that we should immediately and still, because they're so science driven. Everything that they do is multidisciplinary. So I'm walking in and there's neuroscientists working with musicians, working with computer lab people. They're all integrating together. The second thing, they've got one philosophy and that is failure is fine. If you fail in here, that's great because that means you're trying your hardest, but that means what are you going to do differently the next time? There's your bottom line to a classroom. Don't worry about the failing. It's what are you going to do next? The third thing that I loved is called lifelong kindergarten. This was one of the MIT multimedia lab centers. I walked in, there's adults sitting on the floor with Legos. They're sitting there talking and laughing and the head of the lab says, "You got to add play. If you don't add play, you're not you're going to be too stressed." These guys are working on you won't believe the inventions they're working on. The only single criteria is the invention has to better humanity. And they're working on it with Legos, talking about it with one-on-one, and they are cross-discipline and just incredible in terms of finding flow, finding inventions, finding their strengths, and that's what they're doing. We could do the same thing
0: in our own school sites. We really could. So I have a question for you because... Just listening to you gets my heart pound thinking about the, you know, the excitement and the idea that iterating is really critical, you know, and we shouldn't just be starting and trying and failing and walking away. Right. Like that standard model. Right. Um, My question for you, you have so much experience. You've seen so much. What do you think holds us back from creating a model like that in our schools?
1: I think the first thing is not looking at really what the science is saying. Unfortunately, we're so exhausted. Oh, my gosh. The stuff that we have on our plate as teachers and educational leaders, and we're all stuck in the present, that maybe the first thing we need to do is be a little more farsighted in our vision. We're dealing with a different population of kids. They're well-loved, clearly. They're very smart. This is the smartest generation of kids we've ever had. Their 4.0s are now 7.3s. But we do know that if we don't look at what Ivy League professors are telling us, we may have missed the boat. They said they're very stressed. They're very worried about raising their hand and dinging their grade. They're not as critical in their thinking patterns before. So what I always say to a teacher and an educator is start putting yourself on a Google blast of what's the latest breaking research on resilience. Number two is look at what you're already doing and don't start reinventing the wheel, figuring out how do I build this into what we're already doing, our existing programs. And maybe up the seven, the key question is, which one are we overlooking? How can I slowly start to build this in? Because it's not going to be overnight and it's not a one-time staff development program, Right. It's trying to find ways to make this real and manageable and uh, impact our kids so that when they leave and walk across that stage, they've got heart as well as mind and they realize they can be difference makers.
0: Well, you've sold me, Michelle. I am... A huge fan of everything that you're saying, and as I sit here and process what this looks like, I'm curious if you could just share with us what, um, you know, what listeners, if they pick up Thrivers, which of course you should, mine is in the mail. I'm excited; I can't wait to read it, and I'm I know that I'm going to be applying it with my own children. What could educators expect when they pick up Thrivers?
1: Practicality. What I tried to do is have each chapter, each chapter is one of the seven habits. First, starting with here's the research and why it's necessary. Then you're going to see an actual teacher someplace from preschool to uh, college who is weaving this in and doing it. So I want to convince you you can. Then the third thing you're going to see is the three skills. Each one of these strengths has three teachable skills. Most of these you're already doing. So you may want to say, which one am I already doing? Which one do my students need? The most important thing is the practicality piece. There's at least 300 ideas. Each one of them is grade leveled. So if you're dealing with kindergarten, here's what to do at that level. Middle school, high school, it'll show you how to do it. uh, But it also gives you some, I think one of the things that teachers love about all else is a core asset survey. If you've got a struggling student, you immediately turn to that and say, what are his strengths? And it'll go through his learning styles. It'll go through uh, kinds of things that you see him being enjoying in in a school or a classroom, things you may be missing. That's the way to begin to help that child. So that's what it is. It's just practicality based on science. And that's what we're all craving for anyway, I hope.
0: I sure hope so, too. Um, And I think since you ended there with that description, it makes me think about (laughs) how hard it is to do things based on science. So a quick context, my daughter is home Two, I have two daughters and they're home this year online learning with me. And uh, the system is what it is. It's We're we're doing the almost survivor thing, not thriving in our learning. I'll just fully admit it. And just prior to this interview, my daughter was learning about our immune systems. And she said, Mom, they did this totally before COVID hit. I'm learning all about viruses and all this stuff. She's like, but they've never mentioned it. And I said, yeah, I mean, these videos are made two years ago, 2018, three years. Um, But the information is still there. But I just it struck me when you said that we worry about, you know, science-based interventions or information and strategies and yet it's so hard right now with our world to know what to trust with our just living through this pandemic. And I know that you probably have some things to say about <laughs> the listener who is, you know, worried about their child right now with the added anxieties that come around just living through and being a person during a pandemic. Do you have any thoughts that you'd like to share with us on that? You
1: know, yeah, I do because Only of some of the experiences I've had, which have been extraordinary, but by far, uh, working on Army bases uh, overseas. Can you imagine working on a South Korean Army base? There's where anxiety is pretty strong uh, because they're within seconds of working right next door to North Korea. But uh, the commander said, You should be talking to the Navy SEALs. I said, Why? Because we're retraining them, and some of the things that we're doing to keep their arousal control down and their stress down so they can think and think straight and regulate, I bet you could do with kids. The most elite forces in the world. So I go over to the Navy SEALs and say, okay guys, what the heck are you doing? Oh, we're doing some new stuff that's actually rewiring our brain. <laughs> Three things. And we can do these immediately. In fact, they said you should be teaching kids this stuff. First is they identify their stress signs. And they said, We spend a lot of time pointing them out to each other. You know that right before you get really irritable, you do this. Or I can see it in your heart, or I can see it in your cheeks, or you grind your teeth. First thing is knowing your stress signs. Then immediately they say, number two we come up with a positive affirmation. And I smile and said, I know that sounds touchy feely, but it actually works. Like we got this or we'll get through it or chill out. We say that to our head and then we take a one, two breath. It's said one, two. Yeah. One, two. It's the fastest way to relax. We keep saying, we got this chill out inside our head. We slow deep from our abdomen. Like we're riding up an elevator. We hold it Then we slowly let it out. The exhale needs to be twice as long as the inhale. We do that a few times, stress down. Our cognitive abilities are up and we keep marching. I'm going, oh my gosh, how wonderful is that? And they actually did put them into MRIs and part of their brains are being rewired and actually stretched because they're practicing the skills. Practice the skills. Give your kids one or two simple little ideas. The best thing I've ever seen a school do is chop off one minute of each class day, excuse me, each class period. Add five minutes. And then each day at the beginning of the day, they do one, two breaths and they practice it. Ah, test scores went up. Attendance went up. Suspensions went down. Behavior went down. Just because it's a rigorous over and over routine practicing the same habits until it becomes a lifelong habit and they can do it without you.
0: And that would be a systemic, intentional focus on that mindful practice, go. not just lobbing off the time and throwing it on there, but actually having the culture built that it's in there. And it's so funny. My husband and I were just talking today. He's a high school social studies teacher about some of the initiatives that started because you know somebody thought it was a great idea and it never soaked into the fabric of the culture as you had started out with, you know, you talked about that piece. And so um, that sounds like a great example. But I do appreciate that perfect example. I'm going to use that one um, moving forward with my kids. And I really thank you for this practicality that you've given us. I'm so excited to have thrivers come in my mailbox and pour over it. Listeners, make sure that you go ahead and pick up a copy. I will link it in the show notes how to get a hold of it. Um, You know, I'm sad that we're to the end of our the meat of our interview, but I've me too.
1: <laughs> this has been so fun. It yeah. seems
0: wrong. It just goes by so fast. Um, I just want to thank you for showing up on the In Awe podcast and for bringing your um, knowledge and your passion and your research and what you've created to really make an impact on my listeners and for what you do for the education field. It really matters a lot. And I wanted to make sure to say that to you. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. Ah. Oh. Your life work is important. So I've got these two standard questions. Are you ready for them? All right. I'm sitting up. Awesome. Okay. So the first one is, (laughs) if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say?
1: Ah. Thank you for saying yes. Uh, The most amazing thing is everybody always said, what were your goals along the way? And I laughed and I said, I really didn't have goals. It was like if there was a passion that came along and somebody made a phone call and called me up, I usually, if I was interested, would say yes. And what happens is my career just kept taking different paths. So I just uh, just affirm,
0: thanks for saying uh, yes, Michelle. It's been really fun. That's awesome. So you would even say that to yourself through your doctoral studies? (laughs) Well, that was a, you know, the most
1: important thing that I ever learned on the doctoral studies was just finish the dissertation. Say yes to it. Don't worry about it because nobody ever, ever, ever has asked me, what was your dissertation? And that was the thing you were stressing out the most. So.
0: I needed to hear that from you. That's why I asked. (laughs) Okay. Just finish it. (laughs) Just finish it. All right. So how about this one? Um, If listeners find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, and they just need to hear Michelle's voice to help them rise up out of it, what do you think you could say?
1: Oh, we got this. It's absolutely amazing. I have been in some extraordinarily difficult places. I mean, war zones, refugee camps. And when I see kids who have smiles on their faces saying, it's okay, we're going to get through it. I'm going, oh my gosh, what have I got to complain about? We got this. We're just going to take one step at a time. And that's what we need to do. Crunch it. And we got it.
0: Awesome. I believe you and I believe in you. And I'm so grateful that you would share that message because I think we do need to hear that. And it's nice to hear from somebody who's been through, you know, those significant, challenging atmospheres that can say, we do, you know, we can do this and there's going to be, there's going to be life at the end of this. Um, I also just want to say thank you for spending time with us today and to make sure that the listeners hear what is the best way. I'm going to link every place to get a hold of Dr. Michelle Borba. She's got an amazing TED talk, um, several ways that you can continue to learn from her several books, obviously, but if they want to interact with you after this interview, what would you suggest is the best way?
1: Oh, thanks. On my website. It's got a contact card. It's got numerous free downloads of all kinds of things. In fact, there's a 17-page free educator discussion guide on how you can take uh, the seven habits of thrivers and weave them in. It's Michelle Borba. I'm a 1L Michelle. And Borba rhymes with Zorba. So it's MichelleBorba.com.
0: That would be the best. Awesome. Well, we will be sure to link all of that. And listeners, again, make sure you show up on those show notes. This is a great place for you to learn not only in your profession, but also in your personal life. So I've appreciated the time that you spent with us today. Thank you so much, Michelle. Oh, thank you.